Good morning, everybody. Good to see you and uh, appreciate you taking time to come to the gathering in person. Always good to see living people, breathing people. And if you're watching online, we know you're doing that too. Um, Thanks for plugging in today and uh, participating at uh, the gathering this morning. We sure do appreciate it. You can pull up your notes on Life Church Facebook in uh, the Life Church webpage. It's an outline for this morning's talk, and we, um, we always consider it fun to track with the talk. You heard uh, Alexa talking about the Life Church membership class, and really, this is for everybody. Um, you've been coming a long time, short time. Uh, it's just a good way to. Um, find out the core values at Life Church and to be on a team. It's always cool when uh, you join a team because you're moving in the same direction, and we believe that's the case for Life Church uh, going into the future as we grow together closer with Christ. Uh, just uh, notice in your um, newsletter as well, congratulations. We had a couple um, babies, and you heard, you know, Chris and Nori, Aiden Christian was born back on the 7th of November, and then Phil and Christina welcomed Francis Aquila um, last Monday. So, um, yeah, grandparents are sitting over here. <clears throat> and, um, man, what a, I, you know, God, when you think about it, God, knitting a baby together, you know? You just stop and think about it. He knit you together. And um, what, a, what a gift children are um, from the Lord. Uh, they're a gift from the Lord because they challenge parents, don't they? They teach us patience. They teach us um, to be more Christ-like. And um, you can't go wrong with that. So... Hey, uh, if, the, if you're newer to Life Church and you're watching online as well, uh, Frank uh, is one of the Praetorium guards that Paul was chained to. Uh, we want to bring you kind of up to speed on, uh, we've been going through the book of Philippians for, uh, since January, and um, um, maybe we'll get through before Jesus comes. Who knows, right? <laughs> We'll see. But anyway, when people think about Paul being under house arrest, uh, you look at maybe today and how what a house arrest looks like and, you know, the bracelet around your ankle and you can pretty much go where you want to go, etc. They got a drone flying overhead and uh, keeping track of you. But um, back in Paul's day, it was, it was a little different. Praetorium guards were the elite force in the Roman army. They were uh, the emperor's security team. And so every six hours, a new guard would come in and be chained to Paul. And you might think, well, you know, maybe he could zip around the house at will, etc. But uh, he was chained uh, with an 18-inch chain to the guard. So the guard wasn't going anywhere. Paul wasn't going anywhere. And so when you read the letter that Paul writes to the church um, under house arrest, you stop and think, wow, how can Paul have such a great attitude? Um, Well, one of the reasons being is because these guys were the elite of the Roman army, uh, Paul looked at it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. Because they weren't going anywhere, he wasn't going anywhere. And so for six hours at a time, they would have a a conversation about Jesus and how Jesus transformed Paul's life. And so he looked at it as an opportunity to get the gospel into this group of men because they were very influential, by the way. So um, that kind of brings you up to speed. When we look at the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, We'll be pulling up some maps later. I love maps, don't you? That's why they put maps in the Bible. So you can enjoy maps. It kind of goes back generations. 
when Rand McNally put out maps when you went on vacation, you know, they would print it out and it would highlight your routes, et cetera, and how cool that was to open it up. You can't do that anymore. Kind of a bummer, huh? It's not a bummer? <laughs> you like Google Maps better? Well, that's okay. That's all right. Um, anyway, maps are in the Bible on purpose, and so um, we're going we're gonna to take a peek at those in, in a few moments. We get to teach the Bible, and uh, I consider that, and we consider that a privilege at Life Church, because by reading the Bible and when we uh, obey it, when we apply it to our lives, that brings life change. And so many of you are experiencing life change from the inside out, which again, it endorses the fact that God is alive. Uh, an, an idol, false gods, dead gods, they can't bring life change to you. Only a living God who is living in you can transform you. And when you look at the life of Paul, and he's going to talk about that this morning, uh, relying on religion and trying to be good, etc., it, it's never enough. So we're going to go to the, um, to the letter of Philippians chapter 3. And um, we'll be picking it up at verse 3. Brad Borders was a young man whose life had been characterized by poor decisions. Uh, from his mid-teens, he had been confused and aimless, and the future really seemed to hold no promise for him. I mean, he, his life was, was going in the wrong direction. But one day, when he's driving through the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, all by himself. Um, and those of you that have driven through the mountains, you know you need to pay attention to the road. It's not like driving through Illinois where you can just put it on cruise control, take a nap, and then you end up you know, at the, same, the place where you need to go. Uh, you need to watch where you're going uh, to keep your car on the road. And so while he's doing that, he thought, you know, I'm going to turn on the radio. I want a little music. And so he turns it on and... The station that showed up first was a pastor teaching from the Bible, which Brad was thinking, you know, it's kind of strange. He said, I'm an atheist. Uh, that's where he kind of fell in with his life. And you think of the odds, I'm turning on the radio and here's some pastors on teaching. And, uh, you know, Brad's thinking, you know, I always blew off Christianity, always blew off the Bible. But it seemed like today, today that Brad was driving through the mountains of North Carolina, like it was almost as if God was sitting next to him in the car. Like what the pastor was teaching on the radio, it was, it was resonating. It wasn't falling on a hardened heart. And... On that particular day, uh, everything seemed to start making sense uh, to Brad. And so Brad began to, you know, think, man, this is, this is making sense. Uh, there is a God. And then Jesus Christ is his son, and I don't know him. And if that doesn't change, my life will remain in shambles. And so he went on reflecting, you know, it's strange how I can be driving down this road and suddenly you believe your entire destiny hangs on the words from what the Bible has to say. And you, you could just stop and think how the Holy Spirit was working in his life. You know, what would make somebody believe that out of nowhere? What, what, what needs to happen when you bring... Um, someone who's been an atheist and, and their heart is open to the fact that there is a God and that that person needs to have a relationship with God. How does that happen? Maybe you're here this morning and you, you feel the same thing going on, man. You've been resistant and you've mocked God and you've mocked the Bible and you've mocked followers of Christ. But maybe there's something inside you today that's saying there's got to be more. And suddenly the pastor, it seemed, was talking directly to Brad. 
He was calling on every listener to stop for a moment and consider this question, what's going to happen to you on the day that you die? What's going to happen? Brad really didn't have an answer for that question. He had no defense. He had no diversion. He, he realized he needed Jesus. He needed the forgiveness of Christ for his sins. He was certain that God, the maker of everything, was alive. And really, more than anything else in the world at that time, Brad wanted to know him personally. Not know about him, but to know him personally. And so sitting behind the wheel of the car, Brad pulled off to the side of the road and really poured his heart out to the Lord. That's the cool thing about God, by the way. You can be authentic and you can be real. You don't have to modify your conversation for God to understand it. You can just pour it out. And so he asked God for forgiveness and for the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ personally and inviting Jesus to be his Savior. Well, that was over 14 years ago. Brad Borders had been mentored. He had gone to school. And then he enlisted in the military to become a chaplain. And since that day, um, Brad Borders has led more than 700 military people to Christ. Okay, okay, so when we clap, man, we clap. Woo! Right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so hit the pause button uh, because I forgot to mention something. <laughs> Uh, my wife, Debbie, came home from the hospital Friday night. And, uh, yeah. 16 days in the hospital, uh, isolated. You know, that's, that's a challenge, especially being away from her husband. That was tough. That was really tough. Um, she told me so. Um, <laughs> But man, thank you for your cards and, and your, your notes and your meals and the flowers, et cetera, et cetera. Man, it is, it's been overwhelming, and we're so grateful. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, she's home and, and doing well. Uh, so thank you for your prayers. That, that is by far the most important thing, you know, that we pray one for another. Yeah. So... Um, thank you. Um, let's go to uh, Philippians 3. And I, I'm just going to start from verse 1 because we've, um, just to put a little background on it, and um, this, by the way, was supposed to be from last Sunday. And when you, those of you that were here last Sunday, you'd say, yeah, that makes sense the way things went last Sunday, because it, 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 it identifies with Philippians 3 here. But that's how cool God is. God is amazing. Um, and we sure love him so, because he loves you and me so much as well. So Paul writes, whatever happens, remember Paul is chained to a praetorium guard, whatever happens. You may feel like you're going through a crisis right now. Your world is falling apart. Whatever happens, Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't make sense. I think about Jeremy Camp again. We, uh, I was having a conversation with a few folks uh, last week and... <clears throat> He's just come out with a new album, and uh, when his wife uh, of six months died from cancer, uh, he was grieving at the hospital, and he said, I felt like the Lord said, stand up, get off the ground, and worship me. And uh, when, you, when you line up the dots, um, 
It's Jeremy Camp I, I respect because he's the real deal. There, there's followers of Christ that are just going through motions that just, you know, it's just kind of a game for them, you know, do this and do that. And, and um, but, but when life hits you head on, how do you respond? Hmm? And Jeremy Camp, he, he did, he obeyed the Lord and uh, he wrote a beautiful worship song because of it. And that's kind of like whatever happens, what Paul's talking about here. Whatever happens in life, he's saying it's not an excuse for you to feel sorry for yourself. Instead, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in him. And then he says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Why is that? Because Paul, who has been a follower of Christ for 30 years now, had seen the track record of people who put their faith in Christ, and when crises come, they bail out, and they call it quits spiritually. And Paul is saying, here's a little tip, man. If you want to remain strong in your faith with Jesus Christ, learn to rejoice in the Lord when all hell is breaking loose around you. That will keep the wheels on the car. That'll keep the, tr the train on the track, so to speak. That will be th that will be honoring to the Lord. That we rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. And so Paul's doing that. It's 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 happening. While he's he's chained to these dudes, man, he's. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's honoring the Lord. And he's saying it's safeguarding my faith because of it. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now, that's kind of interesting because Paul had done that. He had done the human effort deal, and it came up empty. And then, going down to verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, talking about all these religious rituals and habits. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you imagine Paul? <gasps> I wish I was there with him. You know? Maybe I was in the garden outside his window. You know, and he's, he's, he's writing this. He's talking to himself, man. And he's saying, he's saying, uh, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Can you feel the, the emotion hmm? because of what Christ has done? We, we kind of hit that last Sunday, even with communion, and that's, that's the deal, that we need to go back to the cross to always remember what Jesus did. Because if we forget that, we just kind of blow off Christianity. But when you think about Jesus Choosing to go to the cross to pay for your sin, my sin, our sin, not part of it, not, not the good sins, but all the sin, the good, the bad, the ugly, all those sins, man, he went to the cross so that you and I could have a relationship with him and his father and to be with him forever in heaven. Isn't that, isn't that cool? And so Paul is... Man, he's saying it's all worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know him, not know about him, but to know him. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all gar as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him and no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, etc., 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 Rather, I become righteous through faith 
in Christ. That's where we get our righteousness. It's not trying harder, working harder. You know, it's, it's becoming righteous through faith in Christ, just like Brad Borders did. For God, God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, the encouragement Paul has, is given to us. Uh, a good reminder, Lord, that it's so easy to get caught up in this routine of trying to impress you, maybe trying to impress ourselves spiritually. But at the end of the day, Lord, we can rest in you. How, how incredible that is. We can rest in you because you paid it all. And so we live for you freely. I pray for every person, Lord, watching in, in this room this morning that you will make yourself known to them more today than when we came in, when we turned on the screen, Lord. Thank you for being the one true God that we can live for. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus uh, can make a difference, man. Brad Borders, the dude, was an atheist. When you look at, at Saul's life Paul, before Paul, the dude was, you know, he was religious, but that was the extent of it. But here's the thing. When we put our faith in Christ, we need to be resolute about refusing to be half-hearted or lukewarm in our relationship with Christ. Um, and when we read this text, we see that Paul's really not pulling any punches here. He is, he is really pulling out the gospel gun, and he's, he's kind of blasting these Judaizers, these religious people. And it seems like wherever he goes, they're haunting him. They're harassing him because he used to be one of them, and they're not going to let him forget it. And so you kind of get the feeling here in this portion of the letter, Paul's kind of venting, you know? That righteous anger has been building up, and he's kind of unloading um, on these people. So let's take a look at the map. Remember, we talked about maps. Uh, let's, let's take a look. So, so these Judaizers are coming up from Jerusalem, and I know Ephesus is in red here, but we're going up to Philippi. That all right? All right. So, so he's he's uh, they're coming across, you know, in the water up to Philippi, and um, let's go to the next slide. <sighs> okay. All right. So so Philippi is in modern day Greece. Just so you know. Listen, when you read the Bible, this is not some fairy tale. It's not some comic book. It's the real deal. It's historical. You can count on it. And so Philippi is in modern-day Greece. And, um, you know, in the book of Ephesus, we, we read from there earlier this morning, it's in, the, it's in Turkey, the country of Turkey. And um, Turkey's really become a Muslim, Muslim country, anti-Christian. Um, and so... Uh, what Paul is, is dealing with is these Judaizers are saying, you know, you, you, you've got to be circumcised uh, uh, you know, to be classified as a Jew, to be a follower of Christ. To improve your Christianity, this is what needs to happen. And so Paul is, is, is hearing that there's religious wolf packs on the loose going from Jerusalem up into up into Philippi, this, this new, newer church, and trying to undermine the credibility of the gospel. And listen, friends, that's still going on today. Do not think this is, you know, in the past and it's over with. No, no, religion is, it puts a mask on and, and it, it, it's got a face behind that mask that's out to destroy your relationship with Christ. The vibrancy, you know, the health um, to, to make you feel like you, it's not enough. Nothing's ever enough. And you, you lose your joy and you, you, your world shrinks to yourself, man. And so 
Paul is kind of, he's giving his testimony here in, in these verses, which we'll dig in a little more in, in a few moments. And um, there's two parts to it. He kind of goes, this is the way I used to live, pre-Christ, and this is the way I'm living now, post-Christ, you know? So there's two parts to your, to your story. Every, if you put your faith in Christ, that's how it is. We all have a pre-Christ story, and then we have faith in Christ. This is what he's doing. So to, to nail this down right from the start, let's go to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Let's read it together. I know you've already read some verses from Ephesians this morning. Wasn't that cool? <laughs> all right. So... Talking about when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what did Brad Borders do? Did he have to uh, do a bunch of religious calisthenics for God to get his attention? No, no, no. He just said, Lord, I need you. Forgive me, right? Did he have to work for it? No. Let's read this together. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You ready? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See, that's how it is for every single one of us. When we put our faith in Christ, it all comes back to this. It's all because of the grace of God. It's all that, man. We don't deserve it, but because he loves you and me, he gives us what? Something to work for? No, it's a gift. What's a gift mean? Do you have to pay for your gifts? Whoa, man, what kind of messed up family would that be, huh? <laughs> Christmas time, hey, I owe me $29.95. I kept the receipt on there, boom. <laughs> yeah, man. No, 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 that's not a gift. A gift is, oh, man. We've got so many beautiful flowers at our house from you. Are you going to text my wife and tell her how much she owes you now? Huh? No, 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 no. You're not going to do that. Because it's fun to give. It's a gift. We're beautiful. We're grateful. That's what Paul is saying, man. Our, our testimonies are unique. We've all come like Brad Borders. Here he's driving. I wasn't driving on, on, the, on the highway in the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina when I put my faith in Christ. Were you? Anybody else happen like that? Because our stories are all unique. When we come to Christ, we're all at different places. But once we put our faith in Christ, it's always the same. It's by the grace of God that we've been saved. So that's where Paul is landing. And... Um, a lot of religious people, they come up with this Christ plus faith, Christ plus baptism, Christ plus church membership, Christ plus good works, Christ plus working for Christ, etc. and goes on. It's never enough. And uh, Paul actually wrote this song before he got saved. Jesus paid almost all of it. Never made it in the hymn books, but... Um, because people think they always have to add something to what Jesus did, you know? They feel like it's never enough. So real quick in your notes, we're going to walk through. Uh, number one, tips to maintain my joy, verse 3. For Paul is addressing this, um, this religion stuff where we, we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised because it's been a heart thing, heart surgery. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in the human effort. No confidence. Subpoint one, life-giving service, for we worship the Spirit of God. We're the ones who are truly circumcised. Uh, worshiping means it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it, it, worship doesn't mean just coming here on Sunday morning and singing. Worship is... You're, you're following Christ and you're serving him in everything that you're doing. 
That's the picture that Paul's painting here. So it's really life-giving service. I'm serving Christ out of gratitude for this free gift of salvation that he's given to me. Number two, resting in Jesus, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Man, I said it earlier, there is something awesome about agreeing with what Jesus did for you and for me. My identity is secure in Christ because I know I'm loved by him. Honestly, when when you're able to settle that, you can rest in it. You, You can put your head on the pillow at night and close your eyes and think, thank you, Lord. You paid it all. I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and you love me so much, and Lord, I love you too. You rest in that. It's not like tomorrow when I get up. <sighs> you have a litany of things you've got to do to try and impress God for the day. You don't have to do it. You rest in him. And that's cool. Is that cool? <laughs> and then number three, confident in Christ, not me. Verse 3C. I know we hit this a few weeks ago, but... We can't let it go. There, there's more to this. We, we put no confidence in human effort. Now, um, let's, let's go back into history to Haldrick Zwingli, back into the early 1500s. You want to go back in history? All right, let's go back in history. This is what he wrote in the early 1500s. Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless, but on the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There is no self-confidence to compare with this. The dude was living back in the early 1500s, man, and it's good today. Our confidence in Christ doesn't make us, you know, we, we just... I'll just be lukewarm until Jesus comes. Why would you do that? It says it doesn't make us lazy, negligent, careless. It awakens us, man. It urges us on. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, not backwards. Onward, not neutral, right? Onward. We go on. We press on. So... You've heard me say this too before, uh, my, my good friend Jehoshaphat. In 2 Chronicles, man, his prayer, uh, this prayer is not putting confidence in self. This is 2 Chronicles 20, 12, and, and uh, Jehoshaphat, they're, they're being surrounded by opposing armies and very intimidating. And in, in verse 12, listen to what he says. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Confidence in Christ, not me. Humanism is another God, small g, that's raised its head in our culture where we think we are gods. I'm smart enough. I'm smarter than, if there is a God, I'm smarter than him anyway. It's all about me, self. I can do it. And I I think here is a man, and this is where we have to kind of fall in behind him to say, Lord, I am confident in Christ. I put no confidence in human effort when it comes to spiritual things. Listen to Jehoshaphat. We do not know. I I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. But I'm looking to you for help. You see how raw that is? Is that confidence in self? No, no, no. No, that's, that's putting self in the hands of God and saying, God, I don't know what to do. And because I don't know what to do, I need your help. Do you know how liberating that is? 
how it takes the pressure off of you, you know, in our walk with him. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I don't know. I'm having a, I'm having a struggle right now with, with my son or daughter. I've never been down this road before, Lord, and I need, I don't know what to do, man. I need your wisdom on how to respond in a godly manner, you know? Lord, I, I, I've never been down this road before. My job is on the line. I don't, I don't know what to do. And so I'm asking you for your help, Lord. That you'd give me wisdom. And we can go on and on and on like that. And so I am grateful once again for um, how raw the Bible is and how we can identify in 2021 in what we do. That word human effort in verse 3c, it means a person's own ability independent of God. It's independent of God. Anything someone does independent of trusting God. The true believer puts confidence in the grace of God, right? Isn't that true? And Paul, when he says we put no confidence in human effort, must have triggered some real emotion in Paul's life and kind of a flashback, you know, 30 years earlier. Man, I, I was putting so much confidence in me. And I don't, I, don't, I don't put any confidence in human effort anymore, Lord, by the grace of God. And so what does that look like today? What's that look like today? Let's, let's dial in to, to men. And, and listen, ladies, don't be offended by this, but let's just dial it into men because this is where men tend to live. When it comes to um, confidence in Christ, not me. So many, Clayton, Clayton King, he's a, a Christian author, a speaker, he wrote... Guys are wired to fight for position. I think the reason why so many guys are drawn to certain things is because we internally want other people to notice us in the same way that we notice others. I naturally notice successful people in winning teams. Speaking about the winning teams, the Badgers were pitiful yesterday. Just, just a thought, just a thought. My attention is drawn to loud noises, shiny cars, big trucks, pretty much anything that stands on its position. If it's prominent, guys tend to notice it. Now, he's dialing in. As a Christian, you have to decide how you will fight your, for your personal and sexual purity. There are essentially two options. You can fight for purity with your performance, or you can fight for purity from your position. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint a picture here on what that looks like. We're all drawn to things that perform well. When a college football team begins slaughtering their opponents and wins a national championship, lots of new fans come out of the woodwork wearing the jerseys and the hats of the team. That has the momentum. The better the team performs, the more fans they gain. The better their performance, the higher their prominence. We often apply the same thing to our fight for purity. We tell ourselves that if we could just try harder, perform better, you see this is religion now. You see it? Yo, you see it? This is religion, trying harder, performing better. We would gain more victory in the areas where we struggle. And, and typically, the harder we try to to be perfect, the more discouraged we become when we fail or mess up. It's a, it's, a, it's a horrific battle that men can fall into. So he says, a better approach is to fight for purity from your position. Instead of attempting to become pure by trying harder, you acknowledge that you are already pure in Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross for you. Your position is already secure. You are pure, holy, forgiven, and redeemed by his grace. 
You're not fighting for a position of purity. You are fighting from a position of purity. I tell you, man, that's so liberating. Gentlemen, this is liberating. Now, Neil Anderson, I, I, I want to bring him up because um, we have these bookmarks at Guest Central. And... Um, uh, who I am in Christ on one side and then on the other side, my identity, Satan's lie or God's truth. In other words, what does God's word say about you? And so many followers of Christ, they never, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a sin, that's how they see themselves. I'm a sinner. I'm a loser. I keep failing spiritually. See, that's, that's the whisper of the enemy. Neil Anderson says the most important belief we possess is a true knowledge of who God is. And how do you do that? You, you read God's word to find the character of God. The second most important belief is who we are as children of God because we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. So the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. The major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God. All you got to do is go back to the Garden of Eden, right? He used that ploy with Adam and Eve and the truth of who we are. You can't, he can't change God. He can't do anything to change our identity and position in Christ. If, however, he can get us to believe a lie, we will live as though our identity in Christ isn't true. And so I, I mentioned this last Sunday, you who... You are a child of God who occasionally sins. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. You're not a sinner who sins. We see ourselves as a sinner. We will sin more freely. And so, <clears throat> listen to Neil Anderson. I am accepted, and he's got Bible verses. I am God's child. I am God's friend. I have been justified. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been adopted as God's child. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. Isn't that cool? Friends, I, I struggled with this four decades ago. I was crippled spiritually. And that's where the enemy wants to keep you. He wants to keep you crippled. He wants to paralyze you. That you don't see yourself as a follower of Christ, a son of God, a, a daughter of God. But you're always trying harder, harder, harder. God never accepts you because you've got to do more. It's, it's brutal. It's religion. Did you catch that? It's religion. And religion kills. And God used this to help one, one of the things that helped me come out of my paralyzed Christian life, and I began reading the Bible and, and standing on God's promises, but this is what God says, renewing my mind. And, and that's why, I, on a, like today, man, I can be so passionate about this because I was there. I was stuck. I was in a bad place. And a lot of Christians today... Likewise, they, they cannot accept the fact that they've been forgiven by God, that they are adopted into his family. Yeah. Oh, man! <sighs> he continues, Jesus doesn't give us prominence based on our performance. Rather, he gives us a new position based on his perfection. His perfection. The simple truth can liberate you from the pressure of always trying to be perfect. You know that's impossible to be perfect, to see yourself from a new position. Jesus was perfect for you, and he offers you his perfection as a gift. This actually leads to greater purity overall. Clayton concludes, I was adopted when I was just a few weeks old. My birth mother was 15 when she gave birth to me. 
And she gave me to a family who could love and care for me. I always knew I was adopted, and my parents were clear that when I joined their family, I had all the rights and the privileges as a member of that family. I gained a position in that family, not based on my own actions, but based on their decision. My position was secured by their decision. Do you see it? It was the decision of Christ to forgive, to reconcile. And we hit this last Sunday. It's his righteousness that God sees in you when you put your faith in Jesus. To be able to come into the presence of a holy God, we sang about that, the holiness of God earlier. I don't have to put my head down. I'm not good enough, but I, have the, I am the righteousness of Christ. That's what God sees. So, your position as a child of God was secured by his decision to die in your place and give you salvation. Now, all your actions flow from that position of perfection. You are perfect in Christ because you are already pure, forgiven, and clean. And so, friend, let me encourage you this morning. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you. Number two, past distorted confidence, verse six. This is Paul going back pre-Christian, pre-faith. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. You see how he's getting fired up? (laughs) I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, what Paul, you might say, the dude is going off, man. He must have an ego problem. No, no, no. He's doing quite the opposite. What he's doing is he's penning, this is what I used to be, and it came out as a big zero when I compared it to Christ. So when he's talking about these things, it may sound, oh, man, the dude's bragging about how spiritual he was. No, no, no. He's saying, this is how I used to be, and it left me empty. It left me empty. So... Real quick, let's walk through it. Number one, impressive beginning. Verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. No Jew could have more of a proper beginning than this. The Mosaic law required it. On the eighth day, a baby boy would be circumcised. Number two, impressive nationality. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Remember, Israel was the chosen nation by God to model his love to the world. They heard the word of God. No other nation had such advantage through access to God's word. Man, they had the law, the prophets, the commandments. They were the chosen nation of the world. God made a covenant with them. Man, to be a member of Israel was to inherit a great privilege. So he's, he's talking about, I'm a pure-blooded citizen. Yeah. Three, impressive, impressive lineage. Verse 5c, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin was one of the two elite tribes. They were one of the two tribes that remained loyal to King David's descendants once the kingdom was divided after Solomon. Benjamin was one of the tribes which formed the nucleus of New Israel after the Babylonian captivity. When Israel went into battle, it was the tribe of Benjamin which held the post of honor. The battle cry was, After thee, O Benjamin. And so Paul's bragging about, man, I was, I'm in the Benjamin tribe. Number four, impressive upbringing. Paul adds, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. <laughs> but I was born a Hebrew, Hebrew parents. I was raised according to Hebrew tradition. I was raised in a Hebrew home. I learned the Hebrew language. Man, my parents, we, we followed the Hebrew law extensively when I was growing up. Bragging about that. Number five, impressive standard, Paul. 
had an impressive standard. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. All you need to do is read the Gospels to find out how the Pharisees and Jesus kind of... He said, Jesus, he got his blood pressure up a few times from these Pharisees, huh? Uh, let's, let's check it out in, in Matthew 23. Um, and I know there's a, a lot up there. We're just going to highlight Jesus. This is what he says in verse 13. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. And then verse 15, hypocrites. Verse 16, blind guides. Verse 17, blind fools. Do you wonder why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus? They were calling, Jesus called them names, man. Verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 28, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Verse 33, snakes, you snakes. Sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? So that kind of gives you a little idea of how Jesus looked at the Pharisees. And here Paul said, I was a Pharisee, man. I was a holy man of God. I followed all 613 laws to the T. Six, verse six, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Man, Paul wasn't lukewarm about anything. And he... Uh, he felt that authentic Christianity was an attack on religion. Can I tell you something, friends? You see that in our world today. In communist countries, in socialist countries, authentic Christianity is a threat against the government because the government is supposed to be God, providing for everybody. You see? Yo, come on. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, indeed. All you do is read history. You see it. Authentic Christianity is, is a threat against socialism, communism. It's a threat. And all you got to do is look around the world today. Where are the Christians? They're in camps or they're being killed because they're a threat. So Paul was religious and they were a threat. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 3, Acts. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and I was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on this mission, and a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Aren't you glad for that? That should be a, like a hooray moment right there. That's like Brad Borders going through the Smoky Mountains, an atheist, and he hates God, and God comes after him. It's the love of God. Paul's persecuting Christians, killing them, man. What's God do? Boom! You need to give your life to me, Paul. I've got a plan for you. You thought religion was cool? Phew, wait till you have a relationship with me. You see it? God does not relent. And so... Impressive morality, verse 6b, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul said, I worked really hard for God to love me, and I, I'm such a good religious person with all the rule keeping. See, that's where he was. A lot of people get stuck on this, you know, this balance of good versus bad, and I hope when I die, I'll have more good than bad so I can get into heaven. Do you want to live like that? It's empty. It's empty. 
And uh, we know Jesus, um, the law said you kill, you're guilty of murder. Jesus said if you hate or you get angry at somebody, it's like murder. You see that? He raises the bar of religion in this relationship because it's not, you know, it's not us trying to perform more. It's Christ. Lord, I need your help. Like Jehoshaphat, I need your help to love this person who's really challenging me right now. I need your help. That's a good place to be. And number three, worthless compared to Christ. I once thought these things were value, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ. Have you gained Christ? It's like the boy wanted to practice his hitting before a game, and so he was all by himself, and he threw the ball up, and he swung the bat and missed. And he said to himself, you sure are a real good batter. And he threw the ball up again, and he swung, and he missed again, and he said, you're the greatest batter that ever lived. And he threw the ball up again, and he missed again, and this time he said, there's... There can never be another batter who can compete with you. He's trying to psych himself up, you know. And he threw the ball up one more time and he missed. And then this time he said, boy, you're some kind of a pitcher. <laughs> How did that happen? He changed perspective, man. Right? And Paul, Paul, he's changed his perspective. He's saying... Religion was where I thought it was, and it came up empty because once I have this relationship with Jesus, you can't compare it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And so, friends, let me encourage you, like in Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. God, think of this, God is working in you. You could say, God is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Isn't that great news? It's God working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We, can't, we don't have to worry about doing it, you know, trying harder. It's God working and living through us. Let him do it. It's liberating. Father, thank you for your encouragement to us this morning and how Paul had to address the religious community once again, even 30 years after he put his faith in Christ saying, these guys are at it again. They're trying to strip people of the joy of their relationship with Jesus alone, wanting to put baggage on them to complicate their faith, to make it difficult to live for Christ instead of more liberating. And Lord, we pray for each person today watching online in this room, if They've been struggling with trying harder, trying to be perfect. Lord, help us realize that when you went to the cross, you forgave us our sins and you see us as righteous. And so, therefore, we can come boldly into the very presence of God. We come this morning. We come boldly before you, Lord, extending gratitude to you for this gift of salvation that is free. Lord, liberate us this morning. If we've been paralyzed by performance, by religion that's crept into our relationship with you, forgive us, Lord, for that. May we agree with what your word says about us 
and live for you, Lord. Live for you freely in all that we do. So this morning, Lord, I thank you for every person in this room and those watching online. The great love of God that you have for them. We pray that you will make that love known to them in a very personal way, Lord. So we can serve you freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.